welcome to the Hadassah Collective podcast. I'm your host, Claire Marinan. The Hadassah Collective is a unique wellness-centered community created in and inspired by India, the birthplace of holistic health disciplines. The Hadassah Collective podcast brings together a carefully curated selection of my most trusted and inspiring innovators from every area of the health and wellness space. I invite my guests to freely share their gifts, their wisdom, their journeys, and their diverse points of view, discussing a vast range of topics, including shutdown and self-isolation strategies, integrated diet and fitness, yogic science, modern mental health, and holistic lifestyle, all to inspire you with relatable tools to help you consciously customize, support, and expand your life. On this week's episode, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Pastor Vanessa Hoyes. Vanessa is an incredibly gifted writer and speaker, and with her husband, Pastor Andrew Hoyes, they have planted churches in Australia and now also in Canada. So Vanessa is also a coach um, for people in leadership. She coaches people in ministry leadership or also in the realm of business as well. But in this episode, we are mainly focusing on Vanessa's very personal journey navigating pregnancy loss. And so Vanessa really has a passion to bring this to the forefront of conversation because it's not talked about enough. And... Um, it's really a taboo conversation, which is alarming because it actually is is quite a common thing for people to go through. So we really wanted to have a conversation, a very open conversation about it and how to help people, how they can bring themselves out of this sort of very private pain and shame around this topic and into a place of finding God's peace and being able to just move through this very difficult, challenging space um, with dignity and grace. So I hope you enjoy this episode and you get a lot out of it. Hi, Vanessa. Welcome to the Hadassah Collective. I'm so, so happy to have reconnected with you after 10 years and um, to have you on the podcast. I'm so excited about this powerful and so necessary conversation. Welcome. So good to be with you. It's, it's actually amazing 10 years. What has happened in the last 10 years? Yeah. Amazing. It's Thank you. So amazing. So amazing. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you are in the world and what you do? For sure. So uh, I'm Vanessa. I am um, been on this journey on the earth for 45 years and uh, we are now in Quebec Canada in okay, we people might know Montreal more than even the word Quebec. So married 21 years to an amazing um hero in my life and I have four daughters here on earth and one called Anastasia Zoe who uh, we lost during our pregnancy, our fourth pregnancy actually. So that's my tribe, my family. I'm born and raised Sydney, uh, 30 years, 10 years on the Gold Coast, which is how we connected. Yeah. And then this last decade, so just before I turned 40, we felt like a real calling to leave everything we knew, uproot everything, um, start again and pioneer a a local church here in Montreal, Quebec. It's a, steeped in hundreds of years of Catholicism over here in Quebec, in French-speaking Canada, and we just felt there was just more life, more spiritual life to come out of this city. So our whole family moved and started again um, just before I hit 40 years old. So Wow. 
Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Yes. I definitely see on your Instagram stories, all the snow and I'm like, wow, that is so different from the Gold Coast. (laughs) In fact, there's certain like months of our year here where the snow is thick and heavy and it's felt long where my friends know I barely scroll their Instagram on the Gold Coast (laughs) when it's the peak of summer. For sure. For sure. And to give a little bit of a background, um, Vanessa and I met over 10 years ago on the Gold Coast in Australia, Pastor Vanessa and her amazing husband, Pastor Andrew, um, started a church on the Gold Coast. And I used to attend that church. And and since then, they've gone out on to plant a new church in Montreal, which is just mind-blowing and amazing. And um, so tell us a little bit about your journey. Like, how did you start on this path? And describe a little bit about your early life and whether that sort of played into your um, journey so far. Yeah, I think I was uh, I was born and raised in um, a beautiful environment, single parent from about 10 years old. My um, I was 10 when my father left. And mm-hmm. so early on on that journey, um, you, a significant role model lives your life, male to a female. Like, And so you early on, I was wrestling out a lot in the feminine space even like mm-hmm. the just the daughter abandonment some of those things my mom had a really strong faith um in jesus christ mm-hmm. and um positioned us then in a life-giving church environment but more than that positioned us in a spiritual family so mm-hmm. i got to see healthy healthy family not perfect but healthy family families took us under their wings we'd go away for vacations with families even I remember just as kind of a single parent family so that was an incredible um taste of spiritual community and family I then wrestled out my own faith from about you know 16 17 through to just just before I hit kind of 21 those formative you know years where you are doing that so really wrestled out core beliefs um identity even my own gift of femininity on my life so lots of lots of um work was done in those next few years there um poor relationships you know unhealthy relationships and then and then really came back into a fairly solid understanding of my identity in Christ Jesus but more than an identity this deep love affection that wildness that he has for me and particularly as a a, an emerging woman so that that I run in those spaces very big themes around my life is around that feminine strength and that identity so then to get married um which you even to yield in some of those ways and and get married with a strong personality then to not be able to um, conceive children for quite a while, quite like the next mm. few years was a real battle there. Then to have a child, then to um, lose a child during pregnancy. So those few themes in my life became really strong. So that traditional pastor kind of world I was and leadership I love, but I studied 
so um, counseling, psychotherapy. Mm. So I moved a little bit more into those spaces fairly early on. Yeah. And um, find that my own walk with Jesus is just steeped a little bit more in some of those practices where yeah. I would make sure that my soul is being attended to, not just my spirit. So yeah. that's how I found myself here now co-leading with my husband pastoring but now as a life coach I decided that um I didn't just want to speak into people's spiritual lives but into their soul realm as well so I moved into this space over here which has been a huge journey but I feel like I've come right back into my very core values and core beliefs yeah absolutely absolutely I think that's such an interesting um thing to point out as well like I I always like to identify that as well, like in my own life, like, am I nourishing my body? Am I nourishing my soul? And am I nourishing my spirit? Because I think that those sort of things can get confused as well. And I think that this soul space is actually the mind, will and emotions is really the battleground space. Because it's like, you know, we have the spiritual side, and that's amazing. But if we don't do the soul work, that can't resonate through into the physical realm, you know, it can't, it can't, um, you know, I don't want to say it, it can't satisfy, it can satisfy you for, for a while. And that's fine. But I think really to have that victory is you have to bring that spiritual power into that soul space as well. So, and I think to be able to access that, you have to condition your body to be able to, you know, create an atmosphere for God, you know, to be able to, um, to receive in that space. So yeah, amazing work, amazing work. What are the sorts of things that you feel like you've really wrestled with and that you've had to overcome to to be where you are and to be in the space that you are that you can support other women in their lives? Or you, I think you also do leadership training for men as well. It's not only women, but, um, yeah. you know, what are the things that you've really ha- battled with and had to overcome in your life? Yes, such a great, um, it really allowed me to start thinking this through and I actually flicked through, I moved here with like 20 kilograms each of luggage, right? So mm-hmm. we just, we only had 20 kilograms. So but one of my essentials was some journals because I'm so about, uh, you know, capturing just some of those key moments in our mm-hmm. life and so I didn't bring them on. But so I, when I, when I was thinking about today with you and, following your journey now I really I know sometimes you got to go back through your past to then really get yeah. to that sense in your presence of okay yeah this is this is the path like mm-hmm. you've never diverted from it it's just the different things have taken you so key moments for sure for me were um really really struggling with my emerging womanhood it was mm. in it for so many I know that that will often be a result of things that were done to them when Mm -hmm. they were young that if they weren't born female may or may not have happened to may not have happened to them yeah for me I struggled with that because it wasn't some of those like key indicators of abuse or you know things like that so to then still struggle with some of that comfort of my emerging womanhood my my body like that feminine kind of space for me I couldn't understand that and yes I had a father leave and so I was like okay I did a bit more into like well what would abandonment be for the soul of a young girl and Mm -hmm. but that was those were the key formative moments for me where 
um, I realized that it was okay to wrestle this out mm-hmm. and ask some big questions of why was I born female? What does it mean to be female? What does strength mean as a female? What does healing mean yeah. for me to come into my own when I was just so uncomfortable in my own body? And uh, and really that came down to, um, at that point, a revelation, again, just that in that that the king jesus was wild for me like Mm -hmm. wild for me song of songs is where i sat when i was coming into that healing space if you've never read it yeah in the (laughs) listeners like and read in the passion translation or just one of those um you know more narrative poetic type of spaces but you're talking about this radical love affair where he is speaking into every part of your body, your breasts, your neck, your your um your your live ligaments, like just this stunning kind of language around Song of Songs. So I it, it, that invited me into a new yeah. space of understanding my feminine strength. So key moment there. Mm. And then losing our baby, definitely at 20 mm. weeks pregnant, we were number four child. Yeah. We battled to get pregnant mm. and then had Indiana Hope. Then we really quickly had Avalon Jade and mm-hmm. we were saying you knew both those little yeah. girls <laughs> on the Gold Coast. Then we had Eden Cleopatra and then we were pregnant again. So we were kind of taking it all a bit for granted. But this particular, I'd always got very depressed in my pregnancies, like very dark, very mm. lost, very I'm not who I really am. It ended up being postnatal depression, but pre, like, so it was the same chemical that we discovered later was in my body through each of those pregnancies. So very fake it till you make it. No one in my public world would ever have known, but my husband lost me every single pregnancy. Mm. So there was no difference in this fourth pregnancy to that dark Space that I was in except it got darker and darker and there was a few nights where my husband was basically on watch with on suicide watch with me that I wouldn't kill myself and I didn't know like what was going on and what it was and I went to get a facial one day someone had gifted me a facial and this lady she was this gorgeous 80-year-old Russian lady, she was doing my face and she's like, something's not right. Something's not right. There's something wrong in your in your body. And you, I'm like, no, I don't do well in pregnancies. Da, da, da. She's like, no, no, something, your skin is telling me there's something not right wow. in your body. So then I went to get an ultrasound. I would have anyway, but um, but I think I just might have moved it forward a little bit and um, my my husband was getting on a plane to go overseas and so my dad came with me and he wasn't really in the picture but was visiting me mm-hmm. in Australia at the time and my sister came with me as well and they both came into the ultrasound and that as many people who will hear this know mm-hmm. and it might even trigger that that moment where they say there's no heartbeat that was the most shocking traumatizing moment of my like shocking even though maybe my body knew it but I my soul did not know that yet Mm. and so um said there's no heartbeat at 20 weeks and they said because it's so far gone you're going to need to give birth to this baby and if you don't do it ASAP you might lose your life because it was 
basically my I was hitting some toxic shock so mm. an emergency stop for my husband on this flight he was on a runway I'm in Melbourne get back over to the Gold Coast and um it was the the worst few days of my life and then giving mm. birth to a baby not alive was the most painful thing I've ever experienced in our life um telling my other children, mm. going to a hospital, coming home, not pregnant. And then lots of things that are not talked about. So just within a week of that, your breast milk comes in, even though oh, you wow. have a baby. So things they don't say then later about that. So yeah, those that um, started a real, I'd already been supporting families that had lost mm. children during pregnancy. So then to experience it ourselves personally, you think you've got all the keys, but you have none of the keys until like that moment. Yeah. So there were two huge formative moments. And then the third would be moving here, the, mm. the huge tumultuous, grief-laden yeah. decision to live, move to the other side of the world from everyone you've known and loved. Yeah, yeah, my three big key moments yeah. in my life that really invited me to think about again. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I'm so so sorry that you you went through that. But mm-hmm. on the other side of it, I'm so wowed by um, what you have created out of that, out of those moments. Because just to sort of give a little bit of background to how this podcast interview came about. Um, A dear, dear friend of mine had just suffered a pregnancy loss and um, it's nearly, you know, and we, I just really felt incredibly ill-equipped to support my friend through this because I just, I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I was saying the right thing. I didn't know if I should be attempting to bring her out of this or sitting in the grief with her or how to navigate it. And so um, that's when I reached out to you because I I did remember this time and um, yeah. And then you have the most incredible resources I couldn't believe when you sent me I was just like I thought you would maybe give me the title of a book to read or to pass on to her and you have just even just on your Instagram you have so many amazing videos about different parts of this and how to navigate this and um, I think it's just so so such important work because I know so many women who have gone through this and they've gone on to have healthy pregnancies. Some of them, you know, some have gone through IVF and had amazing pregnancies and births and um, things like this, but it's such a common thing to happen. I read a statistic when I was preparing for this that I think it's one in four pregnancies result in a miscarriage. And that is huge. That's so common. And yet I feel that it's something that's really not discussed. It's something that's kept very quiet and, you know, a very private personal pain and shame. And um, I don't know, I just don't, I don't feel comfortable about that. I feel that there's a lot of people that are in that darkness that don't know how to get out. So thank you for providing these incredible tools out of your own pain, out of your own dark nights of the soul and difficult times. And I want to, we'll, we'll definitely talk more about your steps and things like that that you have, but I want to talk a little bit about the depression during pregnancy because I think that's also something that's not touched upon. Again, I think that there we are in a time and a space where, again, I know a lot of women who suffer from PMDD or endometriosis. There seems to be this really 
like I'm I'm just gonna say it, but it's really an attack on God's creative power, you know, yeah. in the earth. I, I think that that's what is what is happening. And um how that changed you like during the pregnancy and was it a hormonal thing or how like what tools did you use to support you in that time? Yeah, I I just want to affirm that understanding. I think anything that can be um, attacked and uh, killed in seed form mm. in our life, in our life in any way, shape or form is those formative times of dreams, of mm. longings, of, you know, babies, of relationships. Mm. Um, anything attacked in its seed form is is. And that's what's happening, right? That's what we believe, like we fundamentally believe at the beginning of creation that seed was attacked. And particularly in in a woman's life, but of course in in everyone's life. And so it was ferociously and viciously opposed. And um, and so so our journey had nearly all the layers. So there Mm. were nearly three years where we couldn't conceive. So about a year of not being able to conceive, you get diagnosed by a doctor as infertile or infertility Mm. or whatever. And then you you get offered all those kind of options early on. Um, I was was more naturally inclined to try just different ways before I was going to jump into something. And even financially, we were a young married couple. So the IVF, path just wasn't um straight up our Mm -hmm. option but about two and a half nearly three years it would have become the next kind of thing for us and so that journey alone that longing that monthly physical reminder you're Mm -hmm. not getting what you want when your period comes in the hope the cycle there just that alone was um was was huge and I know I work with so many people so many couples um, that 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 journey is still where they're at, right? And even after loss, as we're talking about pregnancy loss, for so mm. many, they're not got the story where their babies are in their arms or mm. a really different way of of walking that healing process for someone like that because it's still not what they imagined their life would look like. So, so that was, um, I think, some of the seeds of de- that. Um, depression around everything to do with menstruating um I'd already been struggling because again I was yeah. wrestling out some of that that those menstrual cycles they reflect so much of our feminine yeah. like we must do so much study too of our feminine um potential and strength but yeah. sometimes we also hate it and it's so painful and all the rest of it so there's a lot of lies you've believed there's a lot of things you've spoken over that area of your life early on that you're actually so I did a lot of research into lies I believed and things I'd spoken over my own cycle when I was like young and in pain to really just again go what what will I need to undo and process here and what was I despising early on Mm. that maybe now I'm paying not a price for because everything can still turn around but you've got to get to those places of acknowledging how much you just spiced your uterus the blood the life flow that was coming from you and then I every month you'd get to that point of going well I hate it even more because now it represents I don't have a child so I think there was a lot of um, emotional things going on that I do think probably tipped towards chemical as well and Mm. um, I 
know that can kind of happen so so once I got pregnant I thought we all thought my boss who I worked for people mm. around me were like you're pregnant you must be elated and mm. for whatever reason I was so sick and then it was so physical and then I just I don't know honestly to this day if it was emotional chemical hormonal mm. first yeah but like I'm like here I am longing for this yeah I like this and so and I couldn't tell anyone because everyone who'd been fighting for pregnancy (laughs) with me was like you must be so happy God bless you this is amazing and I was like I would like to die right now I would like to not be here I would like to kill you yeah (laughs) yeah and that went on. And so I uh, then when I said to the doctor, like the, by the time I had to admit and confess mm. to some suicidal tendencies, then everyone was like, oh, that must be because your baby had passed away. And so that particularly that really dark space. But then by my, then we had Sahara Justice. Mm-hmm. We lost Anastasia Zoe. And at that point, I'm like, what is this? And so my doctor I wish I could recall the word and I should be more responsible to remember it, but basically said, he said, postnatal um, depressive symptoms Mm. can happen with a certain chemical in your body because, Claire, the second I had my baby, I was a different person. The second I birthed my baby, so it was like the opposite. As soon as that baby was out of my body and new chemicals were being released into my body, lightness to my life came back like life came back to me so it was so quick Andrew would say he would come to the hospital well he'd be there with a birth the Mm. second that baby was out he knew he got his wife back wow wow for me Mm. um keys for me back then were very anchored in the scriptures Mm. like really declarative over those scriptures and then a few safe people that I was like, I have to tell you, I'm not happy about having that I'm pregnant, even yeah. though I was, you know. And now I'm, I've got teenage girls, so now we have them in some psychotherapy, and we're having to deal with what I, what was happening for them in my mm. womb, yeah, right? and that trauma that, and and that depression that I had in my womb and the cellular level of where that goes to in them and so it's good we're doing hard work on that now Mm. but the more you acknowledge it I think in the in the time when you can the I was very aware so I've been able to really work with a psychotherapist with one of my girls on some of this right Mm. so but again the journaling helped that because I pulled out my journals and yeah to really start to realize what when I was carrying her what I was really feeling yeah, and I don't think we really realize that, you know, um, because it is that time in utero is so important and is so foundational as well. And it was, it's almost like I'm getting a picture of, you know, when you, it's almost that that time was almost being trying to be stolen away from you or distracted from you. So you couldn't give that goodness and that nurturing. And um, wow, but it's amazing also, like we all, have so much ancestral trauma we all have in utero trauma that we just don't even know about and I think that that's one of the things that we're moving into 
I read some meme a long time ago that like, you know, our generation is is the generation that is now going to stop and sort out all of this ancestral trauma so that we're not passing it on as well. Because our grandparents were like post-war, they were trying to build something. Our parents were building on top of that. And now it's like, we, we're not the survival generation. We're here to kind of clean up the crap, if you will, I think. You know, and it's not our parents or grandparents' fault either. Like they weren't equipped. They didn't know. I mean, my mom is very like Oprah generation. And so she's very much like, you know, let's talk about it. And, you know, so I I definitely got that side of things. But I think it's just a process. And I think it's amazing that you're able to do that with your daughters at their age, because I'm always like, why didn't I have these tools when I was a teenager? You know, like, why didn't I? you know, have these things that I could sort out. So I didn't need to go through the bad relationships or whatever and come out the other end and go, something needs to change, you know? So I think it's amazing that you're addressing the next generation, like from that really like healing space. So it's incredible. I want to talk a little bit about, seems though you touched upon it as well. I know you talk about it in your course as well. How I think the husbands are the forgotten heroes in these times um because it is very focused like when you lose a pregnancy it's very focused on the the mother obviously um from a physical perspective as well but um how how did andrew navigate that time and how did he support you how do you suggest other husbands yeah. you know support their wives through this yeah i i think um i think the biggest thing I recognized was actually when we couldn't have children before we lost a child mm-hmm. um it, it for me it was some scriptures we we talk particularly when you're teaching people to believe and promises in the scriptures about um bearing children there's some in the psalms and it talks about um actually the husband at the city gates standing mm-hmm. boldly and confidently at their place of business transaction mm-hmm. right and and so there's was times where I'm realizing what fertility does in both a woman and a man is it, it fertility it equals in this society success like it always has mm-hmm. and traditionally always has and so um, but people aren't acknowledging although in like the you know maybe behind the scenes the men are like oh your manhood and da, 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 mm-hmm. right you know and that could still be very public less maybe now more than ever but in the core of their own um, masculine heart and Mm -hmm. ego, and I say that ego in the right word, like the right way in their soul realm, um, is all this questions of loss and reproductive, like, strength. Mm -hmm. And so for Andrew and I, and he wouldn't mind me saying, because I do teach a lot into it, our issue for not getting pregnant part of it was actually to do with his fertility not to do with mine Mm -hmm. and just the emasculating of that emotionally Mm -hmm. and all the focus being on me Mm -hmm. I because society focused on me yeah I had to focus on him yeah and so I really got to a point of going how are you what's going on in you we talk about decisions he made. I remember he was so, he talks to me this day, he was so depressed at some point not being able to have children. He went, I didn't even know, like I don't even know how he did it because it would have been a car loan when we were young, like volunteering, young marrieds, you know, in our church. But 
and he got this like convertible, two CD convertible. And at that point, I knew he'd lost hope. Like, mm-hmm. I really knew he'd gone two seats, probably won't have kids. Mm-hmm. Like, and the joke is, I got pregnant fairly soon afterwards. <laughs> we lost so much money selling that convertible. But, you know, so there, because I had acknowledged him and I we used it, there were so many um, humiliating moments of things he had to do for his tests. Mm. Like how um, if you want to talk about your sex life when you're trying to get pregnant, it's like to, it's not intimate. It's so functional, right? Mm. So. So there was all that. And then, so I, I already, we already had a basis of acknowledging ma- a man, like the manhood of this reproductive stuff, then um, journey. Then when we lost Anastasia, um, really, again, I turned fairly quickly my attention towards Andrew because no one was. Mm. And he had a dream. He'd actually had a dream about a little girl in heaven. So I, he's, he's got some prophetic kind of, you know, sense things in yeah. the spirit realm. And so I really lent into that. He really, really wanted to name her Anastasia. And then when we told Mike, as soon as she was being born, he wanted to name her Anastasia. And then um, for my eldest, who's a little bit like him, we came home to tell her she was six at the time five at the time she said no no she needs the name zoe and we said well okay she can be anastasia zoe and then no one we didn't know we announced it then and had some time of grief afterwards and someone wrote back and said in an email we sent out to our congregation do you know anastasia zoe means resurrection life wow wow anyway really powerful for both of them so Mm -hmm. we kept engaged but men are the forgotten mourners mm-hmm. and men are the I think the unacknowledged grievers absolutely in both pregnancy loss and anything around reproduction in general so we mm-hmm. make sure that we really attend to the men and the women we try not to make anything we do just to feminine like mm-hmm. to like just about the woman yeah. and so and then we let conversations now if I could say a disclaimer, we work with people not just married or who try to have babies or lost babies. We're talking about the amount of men I've worked with who, for example, made decisions early on in their life maybe to abort a baby mm-hmm. or maybe their partner made the decision because of the just the posture of, mm-hmm. you know, um, women's rights and all the rest of it. So we've worked for years and years and you're talking grandfathers and uncles and you're talking like a man that says well my daughter lost a baby but that was my grandbaby so like men are Mm. everywhere in the picture right and Mm. they're they're mourning generational and they're mourning past like so many things even from their own past so they're they're so equal in this story for sure yeah absolutely absolutely and I think a lot of the things that are around it are just not, they're not geared towards men. No, no one's telling men how to grieve with this, how to, it's just always be strong, be strong, be strong. And I just think as a society, we've moved past that now, you know, it's not about, you know, the divine masculine is also human and also divine, you know, at the same time. And there is that space for men to be open, to be emotional, to feel things and um, to really grieve properly. And I think that 
you know, there's so much talk about the divine feminine awakening, but we have to realize that the divine feminine and masculine energies exist within both of us, uh, within all people. And we actually can't have a divine feminine awakening without the container of a really strong divine masculine. And so if we want to have this, you know, divine feminine awakening, which I truly believe is so under attack for centuries on the earth and is continuing to be attacked, even in this conversation that we're having now, you know, we're talking about that attack. But we can't have that unless we have that really strong container of the divine masculine. So we need to support our men in, you know, and the masculine within us as well to be able to create that space where we can really support each other. So I think that that's really, really amazing work. And, um, you know, we're talking about some really heavy, deep, you know, stuff today. Um, but what is a highlight moment or, you know, in a place or a place that you've reached that you just never thought was going to be possible for you? And, um, you know, what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, our highlights, again, I think the resiliency of uh, my family through mm. a transition moving and then pandemic, right? Like, let's just yeah. work. <laughs> but, um. The highlight definitely for me has been, uh, I would use the word resilience because I I think it's it, it grows in people and it grows in mm-hmm. you. So um, I've got these teenage girls. So, again, this generational, these moments feel like highlights for me, You're contending for a lot of peace in their life and all the rest of it through this. But now, again, from loss, transition, and we were talking earlier before we recorded, like moving here felt as triggering and traumatic and as like heavy in loss as losing a baby did for us. Mm-hmm. It actually triggered, but that's what grief does, right? Your formative years of grief, they really, and often into like the generations before you, but your first experience of grief is often how you'll then deal with a loss actually is how you'll deal with lots of different um, moments when you need to grieve in your life. And so I just think the highlight for me now is, um, is genuinely like sitting with a psychotherapist with my teenage daughter, discussing mm-hmm. some of these things. I would call it a highlight, you know, even though you're fighting for their peace, fighting for their mental health, fighting yeah some battles you never thought you'd be fighting as a parent with them mm-hmm. but a highlight because you're you you're learning so much as you watch this right mm-hmm. so um yeah that's been an incredible step and then them involved in say the journey of supporting people through pregnancy loss this is for our girls mm-hmm. it's a very it's a family thing that we do with our anniversary moments there's a few key moments in our year and um, watching them, again, just mindful of of pain, loss, grief, mm. um, collective and individual, and watching what that's forming in the resilience within them is a highlight to our life right now, for sure. Yeah, it's amazing. I love that you use the word resilience because, I mean, I think it's something that we've all had to sort of cultivate this year because there's just been this kind of underlying stress, you know, low-lying stress that we've been feeling for the entire year. And our bodies, our systems are not designed to to live like that, to cope like that. 
And so I think that people's resilience has really shown this year. And it's funny that you talk about it with your daughters, because I always feel that resilience is not something you inherit. It's not something, it's not a trait that, you know, you, you inherit from your parents or it's, it's something that is cultivated through the fire, you know, of life. And so I think that that's something that's, that's really incredible. And I can just see such intimacy as well, like through these times with you and your husband and you and your children, like the family unit, that kind of intimacy also is not, you know, perfection doesn't build intimacy. You know, it's these like really challenging moments and how we navigate them that that builds that intimacy. And I can so see that in the way that you're speaking about your family. I think that's just so beautiful. And um there must have been some moments of of self-doubt. And I mean, I'm sure when you were going through the spaces of dark depression that you were questioning, you know, I'm meant to be happy having a baby and I'm really not happy. So which is the right way for me to think? I'm really questioning and doubting yourself. How do you overcome those moments of, of self-doubt? I love what the, you said, I'm meant to. Mm. I think we need to notice pretty quickly in our life the moments where meant, ought, should, mm. all that kind of language that is externally, whether someone else or you are placing on you. So mm-hmm. this is their words that come on you, right? Yeah. Shame. Um, doubt no no shame comes on you doubts with it so there's words that come on you and soon as you said I'm meant to feel mm-hmm. that's where I think we need to pretty quickly and and again some days I did this well other days I did not what you need to do is disrupt a default mm-hmm. right and you, that's what you're doing so words carry such weight and such power so you're disrupting fairly quickly um, and, again, just addressing a lie, like you're, you're having to bring to the surface what's a lie and what's yeah. truth. So the word I'm meant to feel happy, ultimately, like, that's a lie that we've believed for so long that this should equal this, should equal this, yeah. should equal this. And so um, when I would give myself permission to go, yeah, I know this is what I should be feeling, but it's not what I'm feeling. The mm-hmm. moment I got honest that I wasn't feeling good, I was um, the few people I was able to say it's actually not what it looks like because I was a leader and I was like, in, I was yeah. preaching, I was traveling, I was speaking to thousands of people sometimes, and I would get up, I would do my thing, and then I, and also because I had nausea all the way to the end of my pregnancies mm-hmm. and would like maybe 20 times a day be throwing up. I would speak for 45 minutes and I would get down, run to the bathroom, throw up. And then, but with that was just so much emotion as well. And so mm-hmm. I give my best in public and that's why my home got my worst because I just had to have a certain energy. So the people that got to know me were the ones in that season where I had to be like, I'm not okay. Mm-hmm and now I feel guilty because I'm not okay Mm. Um, I wanted this but I didn't want this so the intimacy with just a few people became really really important yeah and 
by that fourth pregnancy, I think my problem was I was everyone was like, oh, like it's like the assumption just grew and grew each time yeah. to be happy. So, and I think I had less close connections in that fourth one. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I really have been able to identify who was a who did I feel safe enough with to yeah. really say what was going on. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. And, um, yeah, I mean, I talk about this all the time. I'm noticing an interesting connection actually with the nausea and the holding of emotions. Like, do you think your body was just not able to hold that much emotion at that time? Um, because I mean, I definitely feel like that, like not pregnancy or whatever, but I definitely, if I'm, if I'm not looking at like what I'm feeling, it shows up in my body, you know, it, in some way it shows up in my body. And so I'm wondering if there's a connection between that and all of the emotional turmoil that was going on for you at that time. Mm. It probably was, and I'm yeah. chatting a little bit earlier, but I, um, mm. I'm a pretty big um, advocate of the Enneagram as a mm-hmm. tool, just a tool to self-awareness. Yeah. And so they talk about three triads, gut triad, head triad, and heart triad. And mm. so often it, where you're carrying that conflict will either be, depending on if you're a gut person, like mm-hmm. it often is in the gut, the nausea, the digestion, and all the rest mm. of it. And then often for people who are a heart triad, it's very much like in the, you know, kind of heart chest space. And mm. then often for people in the head triad, it's the migraines and the, you know, oh. so that's a, very generalized mm-hmm. but um as a tool when we t- we're typing people that way we're often before we can even know what um type they are we're saying where do you carry stress and often yeah. it's a dictator of that yeah so, yeah well, and I'm a, I'm a nine those who will listen and understand mm-hmm. enneagram i'm a nine on the enneagram so i carry all that in my gut but it's unprocessed because i don't connect well to my heart that's what a nine doesn't mm. do so yeah, I know. I think we've got so much to learn in this space about, you know, how the soul space affects the physical space. And um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting sort of thing to maneuver. And I think that this, like, this is the life journey is when we we reach that resistance, and it's removing, you know, that resistance and letting it go and moving then to the next point of resistance. I think that that really is the space it is our life journey is is constantly evolving but it's kind of coming back to our um original self the essence of who we really are you know and it's just peeling back those layers and um i think that the the meant to's the shoulds all of those things we've we've really taken on a lot from society from a really young age as well from our family, from our schools, from society as a whole. And it's really sort of peeling back the layers of that and seeing like what's actually mine and really honoring what's going on with you at the time. Like I love that that was your answer to that question because for me, I I question myself often and I'm like I should be feeling like this, but I'm actually feeling like this. And so I question whether I'm, you know, what I'm feeling is right. And so I I love that you actually honored that space of like, this is what I'm actually feeling. Like that's a constant practice for me as well is just to be like, no, this is what I'm actually feeling. It doesn't matter what's going on or, you know, what we think should be going on. So, yeah, so that's really 
Yeah, I work with my coaching clients. Feelings shouldn't have a judgment attached to mm-hmm. them. They should certainly not be our master. I'm <laughs> sure that yeah. our master, but they should be a messenger for us. Yeah, I think what is really going on, and so to be to not to not judge a feeling, but let it be what it is. Mm-hmm. I think is part of not letting a feeling also rule you is to hold it with such a self-compassion Richard Raw he's a um he's mm, amazing a, an incredible you mm. know um leader in this space of not living that non-dualistic kind of thinking and behaving yeah. and living and so he talks about holding feelings with just such self-compassion right and, mm. and let it say something to you but don't let it lead you necessarily but let it lead you to where you need to go but yeah. don't let it master you so yeah um, yeah, I'm learning, I'm still learning, but when I think about the moments of those questions that you asked me, they were when I could be most real with just a few people for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And, um, so you love the Enneagram and some emotional, um, empowerment practices. Are there any other like wellness modalities and spiritual practices that have supported you in your journey as a pastor? I'm sure there's many. <laughs> There is. Um, I would say, though, more over the last few years, the contemplative practices. I mean, mm-hmm. probably is out right now, right? Just that pausing. Mm-hmm. Now, pandemic might have taught us the power of pause, but I am a pastor as well, and I lead, like, and speak to people all around the, the planet. For some people, pandemic added all this amazing time into their life. And for Mm. others, it was like the greatest, deepest loss they've ever had, Mm. Um, like disconnection. We passed it here in a big city. So you're talking about foreign students that couldn't get home, living on their own downtown. We're talking here, Claire, still like 15 months on, curfews, Mm-hmm. um uh stay at home orders 15 months on yeah. so I'm dealing with like that kind of like person that beautiful young adult in a, an apartment that now today in spring when you only have so much like sunshine in this part of the world I've been told in Ontario just across the border can't leave your house like wow. it's still that long on so mm. So I have found the contemplative practices right now really, really important, not because we have more time, because for others they're busier than ever, their lives are fuller, but they are connecting body, soul, and spirit in ways that I don't know if a lot, like we need anything that connects those three parts of who we are together. Mm -hmm. So uh, I talk about upstream and downstream contemplative practices. Ones that are easy are the downstream ones. Mm -hmm. You just based on your personality type, who you are, and ones that are upstream are just harder by nature for you. But we need them because we've got to learn how to, you know, swim upstream in that current. So, so often it's a typing of a person. It's hearing a bit more about them, saying coaching or in leading, pastoring, and then we go, okay, well, which practices are actually going to be both easy for you to do and difficult for you to do and let's make sure there's a combination so for some personalities silence and solitude is like give it to me all day and for others right like um celebration is not what they'd be used to as a practice so we often just curate something according to people but I know personally 
um the those kind of breathing techniques for my body like yeah. I'm a body person so I've never engaged to the full extent as I have in the last few years in some of those breathing and meditation and yeah. um welcoming prayer has been a huge one for me where mm-hmm. you are breathing and then you're welcoming things in your body that you're not until you notice it you're not sure where that breath is going to take you mm-hmm. and then releasing those prayers that's a huge nearly daily practice for me with yeah. both my inner leading and my coaching as well for people beautiful beautiful and so let's talk a little bit more about the known about your amazing resource um for people who have either have suffered pregnancy loss or are, you know, in that very fresh in that process of pregnancy loss. Um, you know, you guide people all the way through a lot of incredible steps. Like um, I'm going to give you the floor to just talk about um, what what's contained in that course and what could people expect from that course? Well, first of all, this it, it's always a, I would call it an honor to speak into this space for mm-hmm. sure, because uh, you come into someone's life at um, some of their darkest moments, right? And Or you come into someone's life to revisit one of those darkest moments. And so the known program, which we I worked on last year, uh, there's a few modules already online. And then I've got session, like the last two lots of sessions just to upload, but I want to do them over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but came into existence because I was uh I do a lot of grief coaching in my life coaching so I would one of those things has been grief coaching based again on what I do with people and so I took six months with a client to walk through a pregnancy loss from 16 years ago and it was six intense months and she'd gone to a retreat and what had happened is to address grief in a retreat over two or three days can mm. actually sometimes be really quite dangerous right yeah. and so like yeah. I intend, and then what do I do afterwards so uh she had just she had so many blockages because in that retreat it just came up too fast too quick for yeah now we're going to believe it was right and it led her to where she got to but it took us six months and sometimes you're talking like silence from one Zoom to the other, just mm-hmm. like as she was just, you've got to sit with that and, you know, and move through that. And then you've got your own blockages. So from that, I realized, okay, three-day grief like is intense if there's nothing afterwards or before, like to get yeah. into six months was amazing. And she had the, basically she invested in that she mm-hmm. was going to fly to Australia from the UK pandemic happened so she took money that was going to be where she would have gone to people that were really important to her and used it instead in this brief coaching space mm-hmm. and we just saw so much incredible breakthrough happen but I thought okay there's got to be a combination of mm-hmm. switch three days six months yeah and so I pretty much put everything from what I've experienced working with people in this space for about 20 years into like a four session. But again, you're talking probably like 20 modules in those four sessions so that people can take as long as mm. they need yeah. to self-pace a journey towards acknowledging. And that's why the word is called known because I think there is such power in acknowledging what this story 
of loss looks like in your own life, either yeah. it's an individual or a couple or for some of these men, for example, that are like, I need to reflect later on what that yeah. loss was. Families together, small groups together, um, it can be done individual or together. And so, and I really try and put enough tools in there that they're not left undone in a way that is what I'd call just in my therapeutic language dangerous for too long. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think that there is, there is a space, um, you know, where it's like, it's amazing to dive, to dive into the grief, but you have to have something that is supporting you through it because it's not like, you don't want to stay there or you should, you know, you shouldn't get lost in that grief. There has to be a sort of support system around that. And, um, what for someone who is listening, that is, has been through this or is going through this, what are some of the steps that they can take right now to sort of, you know, support themselves through this? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's brilliant. The, mm. the four steps we ask people to journey through, and again, it doesn't just need a course, but um, if there's grief work that we, we didn't go with the traditional grief work of those five steps, right, of grief. Mm. We talked, I based a lot of my work off a, um, a psychotherapist called William Warden, and he does a lot of, did, did a lot of grief work. And he says there's four steps. So he says, you want to look at your now. So you're acknowledging the reality of the loss, no matter when it was, but now, like your current reality, how is it impacting you? What's, is it affecting your marriage? Is it, um, is it stopping you in your singleness from relating in a certain way? Cause it's something you've never, you know, talked about. So it's acknowledging mm-hmm. what does this loss look like now? What do you want it to look like now? And where is it even in, you know, like we're talking about, where is the current reality of it? So now the word now, I, I use that word, he didn't, but mm. what is life like right now? Um, how long ago? All those things, we talk about that. And then the next word is notice. We talk a lot about all these practices you're so familiar with. Mm. How do you notice in your body mm. what's going on, in your spirit what's going on, and in your soul what's going on? So we do a lot of work around noticing things you may never have noticed. Yeah. So I talked about when I moved from Australia to Montreal, I I began to notice this felt like the same type of trauma that losing a baby did. And Mm. I had to figure out why. So our life needs to be spent noticing, I think. But like you said, you can't stay in that noticing space because you need it, but you need to come through it. So you're noticing pain, you're noticing lies, you're believing thought processes. And then the third step we take people through is I call it naming. So mm-hmm. you've got to adjust to an environment where the person or this, the in grief in general, the person or the situation or the, the pregnancy you had or didn't have, um, where what's life like now? So, Claire, we're talking if someone's lost a baby but never had another baby, will they will they introduce themselves as a mother or a father? Mm. So you, there's so many like things that are unspoken about that yeah. we in the, like we get people to 
talk about, right? So mm-hmm. I have other kids. So when my kids were little, someone would say, how many sisters do you have? How many brothers do you have? They go, we have two here on earth and one who's dead. And I'd be like, that's how you introduce, like, the reality of this loss. And so wow. I started did you just see in heaven? <laughs> like, like, you know, because people are like, whoa, like it comes so quickly. Yeah. Even, you know? What so, do you say to a child that says that? Wow. Yeah. But it's very innocent. I mean, that's really the truth, you know, of the, that there's, that's the no, like not adapting to society yet. That's like just speaking their authentic truth, right? But, um, they are who had connected me to eternity before mm-hmm. I had standing of it. Yeah. And God wasn't speaking. He felt silent at the time or felt silent. And it was yeah. my children, right, that helped me to yeah. connect the eternal, like the yeah. veil so thin for them. But naming is really important. And also some people are going to want to name their babies. So that's a big part of this. Is, mm-hmm. And they're going to say, was it male or female? Or And we, we talk through that whole thing in the program about what instinctively you know in your spirit, in yeah. your body from this. See, not everyone gets I, as traumatic as birthing a baby at 20 weeks was for me, even the size mm-hmm. of this baby, the not everyone when they miscarry they don't get that and on one level there was more of a process I could go through Mm. than those just miscarry and or don't even know they're miscarried or have ghost pregnancies or ectopic pregnancies or can't get pregnant so we name a lot of those situations so that people get comfortable with Mm. who are they and then their babies, sometimes they start to say their baby's name out loud. They start to tell that story of acknowledge mm. their babies to other people. So it's re- naming's really powerful. So powerful. We take a moment to, in a ceremony we do around International Day of Pregnancy and Infancy Loss, um, people can write their baby's names down. We used to release balloons in mm. our service we'd have on the Gold Coast. Now here in the in northern hemisphere october is a little cold or something by a lakeside so we have a candlelight and we do it online and so it was quite global last year which was really powerful beautiful and so they name their babies and then the last thing we get them to do is say what does new what is new so what's new life going to look like what's your new now going to look like what's your new normal going to look like and we need to find a space where they can honor the story, honour the babies, honour the situations in rhythms and schedules throughout a year. So they've got some beautiful rituals and rhythms that work for them mm. or their life or their family. And and therefore those rhythms and those rituals start to create real acknowledgement anchors in their mm. life. And so that's what their new normal is going to look like for their future. Yeah. And um and acknowledging that there's a new way to life without what you thought you would have Mm. is really important as well so they're the four steps they're the four sessions essentially and um you can revisit any of those because i think sometimes we have to go back to those and name something new Mm. name it again name it deeper and then come into a new normal from those places yeah that's amazing and i love how you equate, um, or not equate is the wrong word, but you notice it's similar feelings around, you know, losing a child and then moving from 
um, the Gold Coast to Quebec. I think that that's really interesting to trace that those sort of similar experiences, because I mean, you know, the church on the Gold Coast just alone was really your baby, you know, and so to 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 leave that behind, I think, is a huge thing. And I think so these kind of four steps, I would really, really encourage anyone who has gone through this to to, you know, press process this properly, you know, don't miss this opportunity either to process something um, deeper within yourselves, even though it's so painful. I think that we do ourselves the most damage when we avoid pain. And I'm speaking as someone who's avoided discomfort and pain my whole life, and it only creates more. And so I really, I'm so glad I reached out to you because I could not have given this guidance to my friend you know, and so I just was not equipped for that. But I also can see a real gifting here, even in this process of anyone dealing with any kind of grief, you know, mm -hmm. any kind of loss. It's, a, you know, obviously the loss of a child is something very, very profound and very different. But it's like, I think looking back over this COVID year, there's been a lot of loss. And um, speaking back to that time when you got pregnant and you weren't happy, you know, I think a lot of us do this as well, is that there are times when we've maybe lost something, but we cover that by going, oh, or not cover it, but sort of deny it by going, oh, well, there's so many other people suffering in the world much more than me right now. And then you heap this guilt on top of that loss for feeling guilty that, you know, you should be grateful. And I think that, that is such a detrimental thing that we can do. So I would really encourage anyone that has really felt a loss, which I don't think anyone has escaped this year without a loss yeah. of something, you know, to really dive in and process those things properly and um, fully, you know, and clean the gold from these, these um, things. I mean, you went through such an amount of pain, you know, obviously deep, deep pain through these losses, but you've turned it into a beautiful purpose. And without you going through that pain, you know, you wouldn't be able to assist others in the same way as, as you can. So there's always some gold if we're willing to sort of go through those those difficult feelings and emotions and thoughts and things like that. So so incredible, Vanessa. I'm I'm so moved by this whole process. It's amazing. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak into it and mm. where do you take people and the tools you give them. If this can just be another tool for them, then I agree the collective loss right now across mm. the earth is, uh, I don't think we're going to really process it for a little bit longer. And so mm. I, from actually, I was just discussing with my husband from the feedback coming even from just my posts on pregnancy loss that end up diving into loss. Mm. that I might redevelop some, a, you know, a similar kind of course just for the general loss, like yeah. you said. Yeah. It, it's deep. It's, it, it's collective and it's deeply personal at the mm. same time. We watched the, this, to date when this is going to be recorded, we watched the Queen, you know, grieve the loss of her husband mm. on her own the other day. And many people were saying, like, watching her alone helped them process that they had to yeah. grieve their own losses and not be at funerals and not be visiting mm. people in hospitals and just that single picture of her, right? Like yeah. it actually felt like 
she was doing the collective grief of wow. you know the world right now because so many people were restricted from grieving the way we know how to grieve through yeah. loss. So. Yeah. Yeah, even that has been taken away from us in some contexts this year, you know. I think that that's been a huge thing. We know people in the UK who were not able to go and see, you know, their mothers with Alzheimer's or things like this, people with really elderly parents. And it's like those those last moments, they were not able to be a part of that. And the kind of guilt that they hold for that is is so much, but it's also like... It wasn't, it wasn't their choice, you know, it was, so that, that loss as well is, is something that's very, very big, I think that's happening right now. And I agree with you. I don't think we're really going to really process what we've been through for quite some time, I think. So, um, I think it's just really trying to use this time in the best way that we can to expand ourselves where we're constricted to expand ourselves and to to find newer parts of ourselves newer parts of you know areas that we can grow into that we maybe just wouldn't give ourselves the opportunity to do on a in a non-covid year you know so yeah yeah and um so do you have any resources um that you would recommend that you think would be useful for our listeners I do. I, again, I'm I'm a fairly general in my life coaching. So yeah. on um, com, there's uh, right now there's just lots of free downloadables. Mm. Again, I'm all about tools, but I'm yeah. not, I'm not about over resourcing people if they're underactivated. So my big like yeah. thing is always take a resource and do something with it, like yeah. activate the tool rather than. I'm going to have more, more courses that I buy and don't do and, you yeah. know, like those kind of things because it's a bit overwhelming right now. But the second you have one and the time's right to do something with it, I think every resource is incredible. Mm-hmm. So I do, I have right now a grief and loss scale mm-hmm. online that you can download based on just some research done um, in the space of pregnancy loss. And it's just, a, it comes out with a number that, again, just acknowledges that you might still be carrying something mm-hmm. even if it's from past or very current. Yeah. You can do that. When you sit with that information, though, I then I kind of move people to, okay, like read a few of these blogs just yeah. because, I, again, I don't want to leave people with that and then have so there's some blogs online there. Um, and to be honest, it's been really hard to find writers in the space of pregnancy loss. Mm-hmm. And so try and blog on it I've got a whole collection of blogs on it and then the course I do have on offer for people who want to take a journey is there too but I've got other downloads like the welcoming prayer I've got a whole practice Mm. from the grief scale you might do and in that same document we go into well what would that welcoming practice look like yeah and then if things will because I do want to get people to that point of going from acknowledging what am I feeling and then who do I need to share that with so you don't need Mm -hmm. to pay for a course to be able to just do those things so yeah that's all over on vanessahoyes.com and my Instagram definitely why men are the forgotten mourners what not to say to someone who's just lost a baby just some of those practical little tools are there as well for people but genuinely your presence when you show up in a space like that to just mm. sit with someone 
whether you understand it or not is always going to be the most powerful thing someone can do for another yeah amazing amazing and you know i this podcast was really focused on um the pregnancy loss aspect of your um your work but i do want to touch on a little bit about your life coaching for leaders like i think that this when i saw that you were doing this i was like oh thank god someone is doing this because i mean i've you know i've grown up in the church so i've seen time and time and time again like amazing, amazing people that have just sort of burnt out and have been, you know, in in that space or fallen from grace or whatever has gone on. Like we see it, we see it all the time happening now, um, you know. Um, so I think that that's an amazing thing that you are doing as well. It's such a necessary thing for people who are in leadership. And I think even just having this conversation with you to put it in perspective, as someone who is part of your church, I had no idea that you were going through this, you know, really, I didn't, you know, I didn't know I saw you preaching and I saw, you, you know, so I really wasn't aware. And I think that that's something really interesting, because leaders do feel like they need to have that, um, you know, be there for everyone else. Whereas, yeah. you know, leadership, people in leadership are humans too and they need that support so can you tell me a little bit about what that looks like and um how that came about even mm -hmm. yeah i think leadership is i'm i'm um, i'm what you'd call it i'm not a natural leader i grew in my leadership but for sure now i lead in quite mm -hmm. a few different spaces but i you know again when you lead at this at any level, like when you're leading an organization, a business, a church, a, a spiritual leadership role has even greater layers of expectation yeah. to it. But we're talking like even the last year and a half, the amount of people that have want to quit, the amount of people that have suicided, the amount of people in leadership positions that have mm -hmm. just, they can't, it's too much pressure for them, for their soul, right? Do you open? Do you shut as a church? Do you, you talk about vaccinations? Don't you talk about mm -hmm. vaccinations? Racial injustices? What do you acknowledge? What don't you? Who believes what? Um, the polarization right now of yeah. ideas and opinions. So a leader is sitting absorbing all that because yeah. if they do, they're damned. If they don't, they're damned. Excuse me. Yeah. Like no, totally. So mm -hmm. it's so for a leader to have a space where they get to talk about those kind of not oh I did open my church I didn't open my church I did keep my business going I didn't I did it was more like no no how do you feel about that and I'm constantly mm -hmm. saying to them what do you feel about that and then they want to apologize for how angry they are because they shouldn't feel angry mm -hmm. or you know like yeah no, no, we're going to sit with that feeling we're going to sit with that emotion mm -hmm. how do you manage through this like yeah. it's kind of just conversations with leaders that if they say they this generation wants vulnerability from their leaders a hundred percent but i'm telling you now they want vulnerability but they still find out hard to see weakness mm -hmm. yeah they want their leaders to be vulnerable but there's only a certain level right so mm. do that yeah so that is what I've noticed is um and there's a difference I think between telling your personal pain 
or the principle of that pain because I've got teenagers. So even how much I disclose right now about my marriage, my life, my journey, it impacts other people. Mm -hmm. Even when I'm coaching leaders, we're often coaching what to tell, what not to tell, right? Because there's, there's so much personal you might want to share, but it's you can't go public with someone else's story. Mm. So what principle can you pull from this? Yeah. It doesn't just sound like theory because you still need to have some personal, right? So yeah. some personal applications. So every single day, these are the kind of, you know, um, conversations, leaders and navigating and conversations we're having. And so I pastor my own church. That's my, I'm, that's my calling, my vocation, mm -hmm. but my leadership coaching and my life coaching, I get the chance now for people to do with leaders around the world because their churches have come to realize I need to invest in my leader to have a safe space somewhere mm -hmm. so they can be a better leader. So that's been a real honor and privilege to yeah. um, be in that space and online's afforded that right COVID's taught us that we can do things kind of amazing <laughs> do anything, yeah connect yeah people like you and have true chemistry yeah on yeah. lives yeah. so yeah it's been actually really um very energizing for me that space yeah amazing yeah I totally um, I, I find it a really interesting space because even myself, I've probably have expected more from, you know, spiritual leaders than, you know, than maybe I should, you know, I don't acknowledge their humanity and there's almost a, you know, and I think I'm more coming to that, um, you know, realization and we do demand vulnerability in this generation, but I think that there's such a difference. And I think we see this online all the time. There's such a difference between vulnerability, which comes from strength and people pouring out their insecurities yeah. and, and saying, I'm being vulnerable. You know, I think that that's like such a different thing. But I think when you are in spiritual leadership, as you know, as you said, there's so many other layers to it that um, it becomes very difficult. And I mean, even growing up in the church, I have often found the structure of, of Christianity incredibly suffocating because I just don't, I don't fit that mold, you know? I don't fit that stereotype. And, you know, I have tried at times, but it was very, you know, you know, it was not a, a, a time that I was particularly happy, you know? And so it's like, where do I fit in? And I always felt like there isn't space to be human. Whereas I now as an adult, I acknowledge, oh my goodness, like for the leaders who, I mean, you can't stand on a platform and preach something that you don't practice. or you can't live out in your own life. You can't, but then yeah how do you go after the one when the many are watching? Like it's such a difficult balancing act to, to be able to be really human and to as well to be able to set an example. And, you know, I just want to acknowledge like, uh, like yourself, like your husband, you know, it, it's not an easy journey. And um, I can't imagine what people are going through through COVID and all of these different societal very dualistic um polarizing things that are going on in our society and i think that is um something for a spiritual leader to really navigate because 
I don't think that that is God's will at all. Like it's oneness and connectedness is is God's will. And um, so I'm so happy that you're there to support people and um, what a brilliant work you're you're doing in that space as well. Thank you. And thanks for your acknowledgement. And <laughs> on behalf of spiritual leaders that have really hurt you and not given you space and room to ask questions mm. and explore the mystery of following Jesus, mm. then like I apologize on behalf and even moments I'm sure in my own church, you know, where um, there hasn't been the space and the room for that. Mm. And, um, and I think the box has been very boxed and mm. I'm raising a generation of teenagers now asking big questions and yeah. I'm trying to get space for that and same for our people, right? It's, it's the journey that we are, that we've got to love people through, not totally. the, um, not the behaviors that mm. we want people to, so um, and for listeners that have experienced abuse at the hands of spiritual mm. leaders or betrayal or pain or heartache or misunderstandings, even just to not be acknowledged for who they are, um, it is my prayer that mm. you would continue to just pursue Jesus yeah. regardless of what a human has done to you. He's so human. If we follow him, he was so fully human and fully God. Mm. The disciples were so human. They were like, I know. <laughs> like, they're so human. Like, yeah. I think if we could just sit in the Gospels for a little bit longer, mm. we'd see all the glory of the dust, right? Of yeah. the dust of our humanity. We'd see the glory in it. Mm. And, um, and we'd still see God in it too. So that would be always my encouragement is find Jesus in the scriptures and mm. then find a safe space to follow him. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think one of the things that I've sort of learned through, through that kind of process also is like, you know, no one is like not acknowledging that, um, something that someone has done wrong, but I think what I've learned to do when, I think I'm disappointed in someone or someone has let me down. And this is not even just spiritual leaders, but it's also like the amount of disappointment that I have kind of shows where I've held that person, the position I've given that person in my life. And I think yeah. that that's also something that's really important for people. We all have to be responsibility responsible for our own lives, you know, and stop sending spiritual teachers, pastors, preachers, gurus, or whatever up the mountain to meet God and actually like scale that terrain ourselves because yeah. otherwise we're constantly looking for for God in people and then we're really disappointed when they show themselves to be human. And I think that has been a super important lesson, you know, in my life for sure. So I think that that's we're kind of off topic, but I think it's a good it's a good tangent to be going on because I think it's really important. We see that in all sorts of spaces, you know, not just in the church, but I mean, you know, Yogi Bhajan and you know, all of these different, um, you know, different spiritual spaces. And I think it's, it's a, it's a, you know, two way street in someone 
you know, asking, you know, positioning themselves as God in other people's lives, which by the way, I've actually never experienced from a pastor ever. So any pastors that have been in my life, they've never asked for that. But also we as human beings are wanting to put that responsibility on someone else. So I think it's just um, a case of, um, of doing that. And I think that we've come a long way though as well. Like I think that there really is much more of a human element and um, and a vulnerability in the way people teach and preach and and pastor churches. So I think that that's such a beautiful space to come from. You you posted about it. Um, I, I just reshared it actually mm. about forgiveness, and I mm. just posted about grief and forgiveness and the connection because you know, Fred Luskin he says this like grief is is um, not getting something you want like that's when you grieve you mm. don't get what you want so it's that want again right that mm-hmm. it's so the ex- i want this from you and i don't get it so he says once you acknowledge the pain of not getting what you want that's not another person's fault that's like i didn't yeah. get what i wanted or i yeah. didn't get safety or i didn't get this then it, it's at some point they may have to be held to an account absolutely but forgiveness is still our responsibility mm-hmm. so but if we don't acknowledge what it is we're really forgiving, I think that's where it just becomes shallow forgiveness, you know? So Yeah, very much. And I think forgiveness is also like a two-way thing. It's not just, you know, we. I think we've really have made forgiveness very shallow in the sense mm-hmm. that we see it as something like, oh, well, that person did something wrong to me and so I'm going to let it go. But it's actually really not that. It's also about what you've attached, what you're allowing to be attached to yourself it's actually like letting that go and saying, no, that doesn't align to the truth of who I am. Oh, that person treated me badly. I'm unworthy. It's like, no, I'm not going to take that unworthiness because that's not who God says I am. So I'm going to align to the truth. And so I, I do, I think that that's like a really important factor of forgiveness as well, for sure. So yeah, I'm glad you reposted as well. And um, so what's next for you? What are the projects that you're working on? So I'm going to bring this known course to completion. Yeah. Again, it's live and online um, because I know it's going to take people's steps to get there. And mm-hmm. again, already had great feedback about that. But session three, I got a little stuck on the naming. It wasn't naming my baby. It was definitely naming my, like, right now, this new grief I was telling you about. So it was good to get stuck. I'd rather get stuck, like mm-hmm. you said, and work. So I'm going to finish that, release that. This leader's um, course for sure, This well, this leader's coaching, but I think I'll probably write something into a program again more because I believe in just self-pacing yeah. on your journey. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, to re- I'm going to move this grief place, definitely. I think that's like, again, I think that's our reality for the next few years across the earth, that yeah. once we come out of it into our new normal, we will start to acknowledge what we lost or didn't get the chance to do in this last season. So, and I think that's okay. We're going to have to do that because we're moving in a really great place, I believe, across the earth, but we've got to do the deep work, the hard work right Mm -hmm. now. So, so I'm really energized in my coaching space for our local community here. We've been 15 months of not gathering in person so and we're going to be a good another fall so fall for us september Mm. 2021 it will probably be the first time we gather in person 
So we're in it for the long term here. We're trying to become permanent residents. My husband's fully immersing himself in French and (laughs) we right there in the midst of just really making sure that these seven years we've been here we know this is where we want to be mm. we just now need to secure our future here so yeah. incredible yeah. incredible I know I mean I said to you off the call of you know before we started recording but I'm just like oh my goodness when I see your Instagram and I see your babies and I'm like wow they're like properly teenagers and I knew them when they were like five. So that means that I'm that much older. Like it's like such a realization. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Look, I'm Look, I'm Thank you. <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah, it's so funny, but they are really beautiful girls and they're just, you know, you guys are doing so well and I'm so happy to have reconnected with you. <laughs> so lovely. And um, is there anything else that you have on your heart before we close um, that you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, I, I think we'll post, no, yeah, yes. Post, <laughs> pre-podcast, uh, I think you and I were having a great conversation about the misunderstandings of people's spiritual journeys, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Understanding some of um, the more, um, you know, again, just the, the the spaces that you are running in. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, I think sometimes people that um, have found themselves more in this space of not understanding Christians, yeah. I just want to celebrate that there is a, there's a way forward for all of us, right? Yeah. And the word collective is so powerful, but to just continue to pursue um, that space of what is true in the spirit realm is yeah. so crucial to the days we're living in. Yeah. So well done for the conversations you are having and Thank as you. a leader, the misunderstandings you um, have on all in all different, you know, directions. Yeah. yeah. Um, but just stay courageous. And I think that's what I would encourage everyone. Like courage is so important in this season mm. and this space. The more connected we are globally, the more accused we are globally, right? Yeah, so, um, absolutely. So just stay in that space yeah. you feel safe yeah. and do it with courage. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me, Vanessa. Always a pleasure. It was an honor to be with you. Thank you, Claire, for hosting me. Most welcome. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you got some things to take away from our amazing guests' insight. If you did enjoy this episode, please subscribe and also leave us a review. And for more information on the Hadassah Collective, you can visit our Instagram page at Hadassah Collective. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode at the same time next week. And until then, have a wonderful week.